Hi, and welcome to the Silverline Podcast, an audio version pulled from the video stream we do a couple of times a week. My name is Roland Mann, and I'm the head honcho at Silverline, where we have a great time making fun comics that we think you'll enjoy. This episode is titled Supernatural Storytelling. It originally aired July 8, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Silverline Wednesday Night Wham! With your host, Scott Wakefield. Wow, wow, that's a great introduction. This is Silverline Wednesday Wham! I'm your host, as he said, Scott Wakefield. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We've got a great lineup to start. We will introduce ourselves. We also do that at the end as well, so you can remember our names and where to find us and where to see all of our projects, uh, Silverline and otherwise. So, I'm going to start here. I'm not going to start. I'm going to go last here. Uh, Tim, I got you first in my lineup. Okay. Uh, I am Tim TK. I am the associate editor at Silverline and producer for the Wednesday Night Show. Uh, so, I do the digital stuff here. Uh, I'll be talking to you in chat. I also help with the website and uh, run our craft blog series. I also am editing uh, a couple titles for... Uh, Silverline, and I'm writing another one. So, very busy. Another one. Another one. Okay. <laughs> uh, next, I've got Alex. Uh, yes, hello. My name is Alex Galmore. I'm uh, one of the pencilers for Silverline. Currently, I'm penciling uh, Cat and Mouse issue three. We're nearing the end. Uh, and then we just got to finish up issue four. Awesome. Looks, it looks fantastic. I'm mesmerized. I'm always amazed by people who can draw. I'm anyway, it's just lines. It's just lines. <laughs> I know. You say it like that. You say yeah, like anybody that. can do it. I can, yeah. There's no problem. <laughs> Why don't you do it? <laughs> it's just scribbling. Yeah. If I could draw and write, ugh. okay. I, if I could I, write too. A lot of <laughs> on the screen. I started doing this, and I realized that my face in the camera is going to be like. Too close to what someone's drawing when they're up on the screen. Dan, Dan's just being everyone's uncle on the weekly FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> Brent, you're next. Yes, I'm Brent Larson. I am the creator and writer of Kalis, one of Silverline's books, and. Um, I hate going after Tim because that's really all I've got. I, could, I mean, I, yeah. I read a lot of email. I, um, I, I, I have a lot of shows in my Netflix queue. I'm trying to think of all the interesting things about me. Um, but really, that's it. I'm done. I was done hey, long ago. Kalis, that's, that's, that's big. You got to. Yes, but Kalis, Kalis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, this Kalis. is great. Oh, great. What? <laughs> yeah. See, if you say it like that. <laughs> and uh dan you're last in the lineup here um i'm dan hosek i'm working with scott on steam patriots i'm the colorist and the letterer for it all the arts in so i gotta get cranking on that now so that it's all balls in my court now on that so um i was an assistant editor at marvel comics in the mid 90s and i self-published a comic called file 13 uh boy i guess about five years ago now we did about three issues i'd love to get back into it just haven't had the time or the money. It's uh, 
ended up being more of an expensive hobby than a profit-making venture. <laughs> <laughs> but and we I'm can get back into it. That that'll be that. That's that's a good. Uh, we'll tease for for later in the show. We'll get into that about <laughs> about the whole industry about comic books and you know self-publishing and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and Brent, you're right. Uh, we should let Tim go last. He's got the good resume to round it all out. So I'll go last. I'm Scott Wakefield. I am a co-creator and co-writer with my buddy Rory. Uh, if he's out there, he yells at me if I don't mention his name. Uh, for Steam Patriots, uh, that's a title coming up from Silverline. And I'm also handling publicity for Silverline and uh, hosting the Wednesday Wham! as best I can. So let's get right into it. Stories that have uh, a supernatural element, which both of these stories do. There's a, there's a vampire side to Bloodline and uh, this uh, demonic occult element to Friar Rush. The story starts in, and I say the Middle Ages, I know that's a broad span of time. I, I think it's the 1500s. I could be wrong. I need to go back and look. Middle Ages, he's a medieval uh, man of the cloth and then we jump to um, more of a current timeline and we don't know how he made that jump um, but that that obviously there's there's something supernatural there Um, does that sort of element in a story ring true does that draw you in or is that something that's not really your thing I think Brent you mentioned even when we're talking about movies before that you're not into the, the horror element, right? Dan too. You no, said I'm totally into the horror. Oh, you element. are in Dan. You I'm not that. <laughs> into okay. Okay. So, so, so my question, yeah, does, does that, that, that draw you in that supernatural? Element? It doesn't necessarily need to be horror. It doesn't need to be frightening, but a, a supernatural element. Does that, does that draw you in or nah, you need a more grounded uh, rom-com? <laughs> Are you asking all of us? What about the supernatural rom-com? Huh? <laughs> You're right. Huh? <laughs> um, to be honest, um, I'm, if, I'm, if someone's going to tell me a good story, I will take whatever they can get. And when I think, I mean, I don't really think of anything as off-putting as long as it makes sense in the context of the story. What I do hate is when I... I am being sold a story that has no supernatural elements. And then suddenly they throw one in and they're looking at me to just say, Oh, it's okay. It's just a story. (laughs) They've lost me. I might as well just go and do something else. Um, Because that in my mind is a, a not a good grasp of the world that you're working with. I mean, and that includes supernatural things. Um, if you are dealing with a vampire uh, mythos, um, silver bullets will not kill a vampire. And if it does, then you don't know what's going on unless you explain it to everyone that these are the special vampires. Right. So, yeah, it's just another device. It's just another world building thing. And when it's done well, it's great. And maybe uh, something that everyone can attach to their uh, answer to this. Uh, Tim, Pole on Twitch wants to know if any one of us have seen a ghost. So, oh, Brent, wow. have you seen a ghost? <laughs> what a, oh. Have I seen a ghost? I've seen ghosts. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the ghost no, of Patrick Swayze. 
<laughs> I don't hey. think so. Um, I am definitely subscribed to um, belief that there's more going on than I know, um, but haven't seen a ghost. All right. So, sorry. Hey, uh, got a quick, let's let see Michael introduce himself, then we'll get back. Oh, uh, hi, I'm C. Michael Lanning. Uh, pencil is for Silverline. And there we go. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll get back to it. Brent, uh, uh, excellent, excellent. So, yeah, the question is, is uh, do we like those supernatural elements? Is that, is that something that draws us in? And then we have an add-on, have we seen a ghost? That's a great question. I love it. I, I love that. I don't want to get too far off. Uh, I'll I'll talk in a minute. And Brent, Brent had a great answer. And uh, what's the, is the word? It's verisimilitude, right? We got it. You set the rules. And even, even if your rules are outrageous and you have to suspend disbelief, you got to stick within those rules. So we've, we've set a world where, where people can fly and breathe underwater. And when you, when you divert from those rules, yeah, same thing. I'm like, when we talked, we talked about the, the movies, that's some of the problem I have with some of the newer Star Wars movies too. Is that yeah. they've kind of established what you could do with the Force or something, and then people are doing things that were never done with the Force before. But that's just a complaint. <laughs> but they just fixed it. They said, "Oh, I didn't know you could do that with the Force." Yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> who knew?" And then yeah. you're fine. They <laughs> don't explain like why suddenly there's all these new things you can do when you couldn't do them before. But, Maybe it's because some of the stuff that was established in books are non-canon stuff, but still, if it's there and like people know about it, you should try and stick to the framework that either people established before you, and that even happens in comic books. It happens with like, but it happened with Superman or other characters where people just start making people. Or Wolverine is a great example where he started off with a very like set set of powers and what his regeneration could do, and then it got to the point where he could get like annihilated down to a cell and regenerate from that, and it's like. You know, yeah. it's just, it's set a, you set ground rules for what people can do. And, you know, Mark Grunewald did all that hard work in the Marvel handbook of the Marvel Universe. And to mm. ignore all that, it's sad. <laughs> we are I, talking about a very specific um, group of uh, aficionados who love the minutiae. So if you're going to mess around you yeah. do it in the world that you live in or else you're going to be hearing about it for mm -hmm. years <laughs> from people like me probably right yeah right. <laughs> yeah but it's kind of it's kind of like superman flying though after a while it just becomes part of the mythos anyway and whoever had a problem with it at first kind of died off so <laughs> i mean to be able to just leap now he can fly so i think they've added more powers to it now so could do just about everything at any yeah, that, yeah that's when star wars is gonna write itself is when the current fan base dies off so dan any any uh encounters with the supernatural personally uh no i wish i did like any anything bigfoot ufos ghosts <laughs> I'd, I'd love to experience any of it firsthand I, again i I'm a skeptic, but I'm an open-minded skeptic. Yeah. It's, I would love to be convinced that there's something more. I was up where Scott and I live. There's a place called the Rolling Hills Asylum. It was on like Ghost Hunters and all that stuff. A bunch oh, of other nice. And, um, it's I was there once before they turned it into like the the ghost tourist place 
and it was like a, it's like a craft mall, right? Wasn't it? Called it's, the Carriage Village before. Yeah. Yeah. And I went there when it was the Carriage Village and I was super creeped out by it. And I was like, wow, why does this place have such a weird yeah. vibe to it? And then I started reading stuff on the walls and it said it was like in a asylum and a you know poor house and all this other stuff. And then I went back there when they did it and I did one of the ghost hunts, but there was like, 40 people there and there's a bunch of teenagers and everyone's laughing and I, I, the, the vibe was totally different. I was like not creeped out at all. And like, if I figured something cool was going to happen, it would probably happen there and it didn't. So, but we'll see, maybe someday, not yet. Mm. Sounds like <laughs> Halloween horror nights every year. Yeah. Huh. Where is this? Um, uh, right between like Rochester and Buffalo and where is it? Beth, is that in East Bethany? It's in a town, a little town called East Bethany. It's, it's a teeny, teeny little town in Western New York. Wow. But all of so all of the ghost hunter shows have have been like all the big shows they've been there, and it's a it's an eighteen middle eighteen hundreds building that really it was at the you know at the time you couldn't pay your bills you you were a widow an orphan they they threw you um, all in there yeah. and good luck no. and um, it's a neat it's a weird it's in a weird place it's all fields and corn and and a forest but the forest is from when they planted and then like during the conservation core time as well and this this brick edifice is there that was the county poorhouse hmm. it's a neat old building same thing when i my, i had a when i was when i was littler i uh, elementary school age my my best friend's aunt had a store in this in the carriage village she sold peanuts and it was spicy <laughs> peanuts and roasted peanuts all and so, of course, I want to hang on my my buddy, and I live in the middle of nowhere. So, what else am I going to do? Same thing. I'd go wander around the halls. He'd be at his aunt's store selling peanuts, and, and I'd go wander around. And they, their thing was, and I, I don't know who their, who their marketing director was, was to put it's called the Carriage Village, and they they got all these old carriages from around, and and they put them on display in the morgue. <laughs> So you go downstairs, downstairs, and they had the big giant steel door, you know, and, and the carriages were all like, okay, you, you look at them and I, I just got this feeling like, Ooh, cool carriage, 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 neat. Oh, and then it, get out of there. Cause it was such a bizarre, like it's an insane asylum that now they have carriages in and people are selling peanuts and like, <laughs> <laughs> like the most bizarre place ever. It's so weird. It's insane for other reasons. Huh. <laughs> That sounds pretty interesting. It's, it's yeah. Look up Rolling Hills in like Orlando. They they still do the ghost tours, don't they? Yeah. Or they do. I, they do. I don't know how they keep the lights. The building's huge, and the roofs come. You know, got to be fallen in and got out the heat. The place. And, um, we do a silver line ghost hunt sometime. That's there you go. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> On Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I love I love to my answer to the question is I love the supernatural element. Uh, I know some people just, they hate it. They, they don't like, they, they want, they want a villain that is flesh and blood that you can fight that, you know, that's got fists or a sword or a gun. And while that's while I like that, but there's something about that unknown that really draws me in. I really love that story. And those, those stories are that we, I think we, we talked about last week too, is, is uh, the horror stories that draw us in and the, the, the unseen. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not drawn into the, the, the gore so much and the, the shock factor of, of gross unseen that, that something's there. I love that. I love it. And I love, 
I have a love hate relationship with all the haunt, like going to that carriage village or, or walking around in a cemetery at night. It's, 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 there's the rational side of me that says it's, it's a cemetery. It's the same at night as it is during the day, but I get this little chill. And so to answer the question about seeing the ghost, the closest I've come is uh, my brother, my buddy, uh, another Scott and I were, were out in the cemetery that's across the street from my house and it was cold. It was November, early December. And uh, we had, this was, this was pre-smartphone. We had a digital camera and we're, we'd take a picture and it had a flash. Well, we wanted the flash because otherwise it didn't see anything. We realized we were seeing it. We could see our breath on the, on the, whoever was holding it, you could see your, your, your breath. So we'd count down three, two, one. We all hold our breath and we close our eyes because it would ruin our night vision. We take that picture and we got one picture and I wish I had it. Um, and it, it doesn't match anything else. It's not a cloud of breath. It's not the, those motes of light that you get from the dust or whatever. It was this, this kind of round shaped outline that, you don't have to use much imagination. It looks like a face and it has all these wispy lines coming out of it. And it's so crazy. And the next one didn't have it. And the one before it didn't have it. So it's just a really cool picture. I don't know what's going on in it. It could be a, you know, just you can explain it away as digital photography or whatever that something weird caught the light just right. And it reflected off a, off a headstone, but, but I've not had any, any real instances of anything supernatural. And like Dan, I think Brent was saying as well, there's, something there i believe there's there's something else but ghosts demons i don't know where where people are and between here and and, and the afterlife i don't know i don't know and what you were saying scott about um just the unknown i think um hp lovecraft when he's at like the top of his game does that really well like just uh, like the whole idea of like fighting something that you don't have a chance against and it's just there and it's overwhelming and oppressive and just it's you're you're just trying to hold on to your sanity and not like lose your mind because of what you're up against it like he's really hit and miss i think like some of his stuff is like really really not that good and then but when he's at the top of his game i really i really enjoy his sort of otherworldly supernatural parts because yeah. it is it's just normal people against stuff that's yeah. Yeah. just way out of their league Mm, I'm reading Lovecraft right now. He's you're right. He's good yeah. when he's good. Yeah, when he's not, <laughs> not so good. But yeah, when he's at the top of his game, he's 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 really really good. Hmm. I know he's like he was like a racist and you know and uh, like you like I was I, think I was like listening to NPR or something. And they were talking about Lovecraft and that whole aspect of him and like when you kind of read the work now about like all these like otherworldly things, but you kind of like put like his like kind of perspective yeah. of like afraid of and like the xenophobia and everything and just like it like what those things represent in those stories is kind of interesting and i kind of want to go back and read them now knowing everything i know about yeah like personally just, I, can't, I can't remember the, his uh name um but there's a gentleman um he runs a, a something like the hp lovecraft preservation society something like that uh but he is a uh an immigrant and he actually um well he he is all for preserving lovecraft's work as they were in its entirety right now and um talks about why that is important to understand the sort of terrible mindsets of the day and what they can teach us through horror interesting yeah uh oh also i'll uh i guess i'll, I'll jump in here also at the 
Uh, I love anything um, slightly supernatural. Uh, one of my uh, favorite franchises is Warhammer 40,000, which is well known for s- space demons and wizards doing weird psychic stuff. Um, and uh, I think that's what I like uh, Bloodline is it is the kind of that grim, dark abstraction of um, horror subjects. Um, as far as seeing of Ghost, I don't think I have, but I had did have my most eerie experience not too long ago, uh, driving down through California. I popped off I-5, went down Route 66, uh, and somewhere near the border of Oregon and California, about like two at night, and we're passing through a town that was a couple miles long, uh... And you pass the residential blocks, the business section, everything like that. And it makes sense for everything to be close at this point. But what was weird was even passing through residential, in the entire like mileage of the town, we saw two cars, then nothing else, and then it was just another five miles of cornfields. Wow. <laughs> and it's just that, that feeling of like, oh, there, there might be something out there. I don't like this at all. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yep. I the and Dan, you mentioned uh, Bigfoot and all that too. The the cryptids and all that. That's another thing that gets me. I love yeah. I love that stuff. Um, I was stationed in Alaska for uh, three years, and we we lived on a boat. We took our boat off into the. It was the the Panhandle. Uh, Ketchikan is in the is in southeast Alaska. It's all all these cool inlets and forests. It's amazing. If you ever get to go, go. But we took our boat off down an inlet to this cove and we 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 moored the boat and we took the 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 dinghy inshore as my wife and three kids and there's a there's a forest ranger cabin that they maintain for the ranger service but also people can rent them and you go and they've got firewood and a stove and bunks in there and it's 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 cool when you think about the scope of where you are you know if you were to google map and zoom out it's just there's nobody 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 around you and uh, so we we had a fiberglass dinghy and the tides go way up 15 18 feet changes out there so we dragged the dinghy way up uh, on the shore well above the high water mark and we had two wooden oars you know in the oar locks that we you know we we rode like so and we put them in their left left lock and had the, the paddle ends in the boat spent the day spent the night next morning i came out to the boat the 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 dinghy and one of the one of the oars was gone <laughs> and I walked around and I, we have a dog, but she wouldn't have picked up the oar and trotted away with it. We, I walked all the way around it. There's something, what someone <laughs> some, would have had to pick it up and carry it away. And, uh, you know, that of course the, the, uh, the storyteller mindset, the active imagination. I'm like, who's who's lurking in the woods, watching me right now? <laughs> you know, I'm at a cabin in the woods. What could go wrong? <laughs> right, right. So yeah, yeah. So I, I have this. All these, all these things are going through my mind. Of okay, well, I've got to paddle out to my boat now, the big boat, and leave my family, or do I take the family and leave them? You know, is that all those thoughts of I'm going to see them with the. You know, the, whoever's out there with them or back on shore, there's going to be the crackle of the radio. Scott, Scott, you got to come back. So <laughs> it was just so, it's just so weird. So I'm telling the story 
later on in Ketchikan and, and somebody tells me, you got to tell this, this guy, he's a, he's a Sasquatch nut, loves it. And yep, he, I told him he's Squatch. Definitely. They <laughs> love, they love stealing that stuff. They love ax handles. They love it. Yep, he's probably out there knocking it on a tree right now. So they, they also, their, their mythology, they have a, a Kushtaka and they're otter people and they're shape changers. They will be otters and they will be an anthropomorphic otter or they'll be a human. And their thing is, is they will, if you're out in the water, they'll call to you. They will, and they will have the appearance and likeness and sound of a, of a past loved one. And if you accept their call, they'll pull you in and then you become one of them. So, so maybe the Kushtaka stole my ore. And those things aren't cheap. They're like 90 bucks. So I was upset. So that's, that's my cryptid story. <laughs> I wonder if they steal them and then resell them. Like this. <laughs> I should have checked eBay. <laughs> Slightly used ore from some hapless idiot in the, the wilderness of Ketchikan. <laughs> huh. But that I love those stories of the whole thing, the unknown, something, something lurking, either hairy flesh or, or ethereal that I think that makes for a great story makes for a great because you can you're always always wondering yeah hmm. and but when it breaks the rules and when it when it just becomes dumb that ruins it when it when it makes zero sense or when it's when it the supernatural when they explain it all away with supernatural stuff i oh it's just magic it's, it's the force it, yeah. it can <laughs> it can do it. it i don't i don't like that and i guilty pleasure is those uh those ghost hunter shows and uh the monster hunters uh those they're so dumb the shows are so dumb and nothing ever happens <laughs> i'm always drawn in why <laughs> i'm the one saying these are these are stupid. The worst of those is that uh, the mountain, is it mountain monsters? The one where it's like the, the four like super, super hillbilly got old guys with the big beards going out with the guns. And uh, that one is like completely over. They like kind of stopped. I think even trying to pretend that show was real about. Because <laughs> <laughs> every, every episode they like almost catch a Sasquatch or they do, or they're getting rocks thrown at them. Like they have them in case it's remarkable. Like every episode, they pretty much have evidence that Sasquatch exists, but somehow it's not made it to the mainstream yet. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe the world isn't ready for it yet. For the for squat. But it's just yeah. I watch it with my son, and it's like we we both understand that it's a complete work of fiction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh what's the beast down the florida's got the florida's got what's that that the skunk ape skunk ape yeah yep. yeah How is it, you guys know more about that than i do when i live here <laughs> huh well when, when i was a when i was in florida we were worried about the meth gators just the fact that there be at news reports of gators that find packets of meth eat it and just walk around town <laughs> Oh. oh no. We're mostly just worried about tourists because they can't drive. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's the urban legend that we really have to watch out for. So. 
scenario. Well, yeah, they're lost too. Then yeah, they don't know. In uh, in Ketchikan, cruise ships would come in. Yeah, and you'd have it was like Ketchikan was like a model city, like we were a living museum because mm-hmm. people just wander out in the streets with their cameras and they they take pictures of the totem poles and the and the the landscape with zero regard for cars, buses, uh, duck boats. You know, it, it's just a living city. Let's just take take pictures of the the locals in their their garb, their Alaskan garb. Of, <laughs> They go up to random people and say, "You're so believable." <laughs> Are you real? Is this, is this wax? <laughs> you can yep. barely see the animatronic. Yeah, I, w- I, I would love to. I don't know. I, I have a mixed mixed feeling about of actually encountering something supernatural. Part of me, yeah, wants to uh, wants that to happen, and then part of me knows that I'll probably uh, uh, wet myself and pass out. Yeah, it's it's 50-50 on whether that I'll crap myself or if I'll try to fight it and die immediately. (laughs) Wait, you're talking about like a malevolent (laughs) supernatural being, right? What if it's like one of the gremlins or something like that? (laughs) There you go. Yeah, there you go. Good point. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And another instance in the, the cemetery across the street is a friend of mine knew we were over there and he snuck over and he got the jump on us. And my, he came running up behind me and my, I've learned my reaction is to throw punches in, in reckless, you know, just no regard for what I'm punching, but I turned so fast and I slipped. So I was just throwing punches at his crotch. And he, <laughs> He was laughing so hard and kind of doubled over to not fall over me because he ran up behind me. And he was laughing. I didn't land any punches, but because he protected himself. But yeah, he got me good. I mean, I let out a yelp and I s- swung around and just. Uh, and I didn't know you slipped. I thought your instinct was always just to randomly punch at the groin repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But oh, the, the head is that's 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 the that's, that's, that's it's the first thing they teach you in every self-defense class. Go for the weak go, spot. Go for the... Or if you're just mad at people, you know, the cashier doesn't give you the right amount of change. Punch the groin, yeah. Right, right the groin. <laughs> so, uh, so then the, the supernatural side, that, that, does, that goes into, like, um, all the, uh, in the science fiction world, too. I, I know that's it's a bit of a stretch to, to overlap those, but I feel like it's just... The supernatural side is another, uh, you know, aliens and 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 otherworldly beings as well. And so, we, whereas the the magical creatures and so forth might fit in the a, a science, uh, the fantasy world, uh, the science fiction world is the world of aliens. Um, and I guess if unsolved mysteries can do, you know, overlap yep. Sasquatch with uh, UFOs. Uh, what about what about UFO stories? Thoughts on those? Love them, hate them. I, uh, I'm a fan. I was actually gonna give me an interesting thought there, uh, thinking about the eeriness and kind of the unknown horror style things. I think a really perfect intersection of that is sort of um, Gibson style cyberpunk. And of course, I have my Shadowrun poster here, which has fantasy elements as well. Uh, but um, the idea of like the ghost of the machine, what if a computer gained sentience and was this unknown actor and. Yeah if like in romance or spoilers possessed or haunted people 
So I think that that's one of my favorite style tropes, styles of um, uh, modes of storytelling is the the cyberpunk mystery. I remember reading Neuromancer. Oh, I don't know. It's been a while ago, but I remember the one thing that stood out as being kind of funny to me, and like definitely a project of its time, was that like they were really impressed when somebody had like some sort of memory stick that could hold. I think it was like yeah. eight megabytes or something. And I was like, that was funny. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that when it was written, it was like, they were all like blown away that he had like something that had eight megabits or something. Kind of my my, my favorite thing. I liked it. Yeah, my favorite thing is the annotated edition where um, he wrote a note on the opening line, which is uh, the sky above the bay was the color of a television set to a dead channel. And Gibson knew he's like he's like this line is going to fade out in like fifty years, and it was bad ten years ago. Like this is as yeah. a very limited use. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> Great line, though. Yeah. Where did yeah. where can you find that? By the way. Uh, is it on anywhere? Or? Uh, I got the annotated actually through an audiobook, but yeah, you should be able to purchase it just about anywhere. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Cool. Yeah, I like say that same thing that with that with that cyber either uh, some sort of AI or something like that where it's ever present and you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. That that's that's frightening it's scary it um it's almost like um well what that's what made like a negan scary in the, in yeah. the walking dead. like you, you anything you do like he's he's got his eyes on you and he's, he's gonna find out so and and you're gonna get punished so those those sorts of villains that's sort of a villain or um or the world like uh you know minority report too yeah you're 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 stuck. You're being watched. You've got to, you have to outsmart it some way. And any little slip up can, can throw everything off and you it's, it's ruined. And that, that makes, that makes for a great, for me, I love those stories of, of everything against the hero or the, 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 the group of heroes. But I think that's a, a fantastic story mm. or element or a, a, a world but then that begs the question, is that sci-fi as opposed to supernatural? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't, what's the line? If there's a, if, if it's mechanical, I don't know if it's technology. It's, yeah. that's up, it's clearly supernatural, like what's beyond science and like science fiction is just science taken to a higher mm-hmm. level and like supernatural can't be explained by science per se. Yeah. Is that the yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I mean, if you, uh, like one of my you... favorite villains in a movie is the Terminator who is so unstoppable. He, he might as well be supernatural. Right. Yeah. And, um, he looks all sciencey, especially when his skin's off and everything. Yeah. And yet, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Dracula is, kind of the same way isn't he and and any other supernatural villain that's relentless um so if it's yeah i don't know at, at that point it almost feels a little like splitting hairs to me yeah yeah i mean what do you do with some with a character like morpheus who wasn't a vampire but because of science he ends up turning himself into one and he still kind of exists in that same 
world like Blade does, and there's other vampires, Deacon Frost, and all that nature. So it it it, it kind of blurs it, but it runs together in the same kind of vein. Yeah. So I mean, it could it can. It can kind of it, it can work together. It just has to be done well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again with the rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Establish your, your world, your rules, and stay within them. <laughs> yes. Add an expletive to the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And don't write it off as metachlorians. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> And another thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start bashing the prequels now too. I don't mind doing that. <laughs> don't, don't get them started. Don't. <laughs> yeah, and uh, in the this, I'm love and I'm veering off a little, but the the CBS uh, Star Trek world that's being built, I'm loving. I hope they please do it right. Please, please, please mm-hmm. do it right. But the whole like, oh, Spock's got another sibling, and oh, this like. Eh. It wasn't there. Why did they? Right. Why did they, they? They never mentioned it before, but suddenly it's there. <sighs> I, I guess also kind of talking, uh, going from Star Trek, and also what Brent kind of mentioned earlier when uh, I said that I, I would immediately fight a supernatural being that I saw. He said, uh, "What if it wasn't benevolent?" So, what do you think about either benevolent or ambivalent supernatural beings like Q, which is just kind of there because it suits his fancy? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I I tend to be a little turned off by I was never a huge fan of Q in Star Trek. And honestly, I think I needed to go back and watch a lot of Next Generation because a lot of the early seasons they were they were on TV and I was younger and I just kind of watched them because it was a sci-fi show. I didn't put a lot of thought into them. And I haven't gone back to the early seasons or I didn't say early, but seemed, I think there's more Q in the early yeah, he was in the first episode actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, he showed he showed up right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and of all the of all the pilot episodes, that that's slow. I I, that, I tend to skip over the first season of TNG whenever you watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was Roddenberry. That was Roddenberry who wrote that. Interview, I, so. yeah. No kidding. Oh yeah! Wow. When Riker gets like Lucas in Star Wars, right? Yeah. Uh, what's that, what when Riker gets his beard, that's when it's okay to start watching. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Good to know. And also when they start wearing uniforms instead of tights. Right. And, and when wow. when Picard can do the Picard maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> Has everyone seen the Rikering video too? Right. That one's great. Yeah. Like look up Riker sits in a chair. I never <laughs> know until someone like compiled that. He like brings his leg over the back of the chair to sit down in it. Yes, yeah. It's fascinating because I <laughs> noticed that I'm years watching Star Trek Next Generation and now I can't unsee it. <laughs> I do have her walking to every meeting just a power move. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm Will Riker. Yeah. Uh, sit over chairs. The, so what's funny because the, the first, the pilot of the, the cage, right, was the original series intended pilot episode but it didn't air and then they split they spliced it up for the the pike flashback yeah. uh with those mm-hmm. mind guys right because cbs said it was too cerebral it was mm-hmm. it wasn't sci-fi enough and it was too too brainy mm-hmm. and then next generation did the same thing with their first episode with q and that tribunal and 
humanity on trial. And I mean, I'm sure it's, I mean, it's great. It's a great thing to think about, but I, I feel like it was, it was too much out of the gate. Um, and with that supernatural being. So what I was saying is I tend to be, if there's, a, if there's an all powerful being that can, that, that, that there's no, nothing you can do about him or her or it, it, I kind of, it ha, it's really tough to do that character well without, because what do you, what's to worry about for, for him or what do you, yeah. what can the, the characters you're supposed to have uh, empathy for, they can't do anything about it either. So it, it's kind of like, nah, you know, take it, leave it. That's my feeling. Unless, unless that supernatural godlike being has some sort of limitation. Right. Or you kind of have to give him like the, uh, the Superman effect where you give him something else that he cares about that can be hurt. Yes. Yes. Uh, and kind of bouncing off what you're saying there, Scott, uh, Brandon Sanderson, I believe has the rule that uh, this is more for prose, but you can use this for any medium that you're allowed one buy-in per page that per page, you can get the, uh, the reader or the audience to buy one fact of your world. And so if you're dealing with space, God, there you got to do a yeah. lot of exposition. A lot of the audience has to buy a lot. So yeah. if, if, you, if you just uh, do like what they did with um, Q later on and some other dudes where they just kind of like popped in like once, you know, like, okay, here's this guy and here's one thing about him. Here's drama on the ship. Here's this guy. Here's one thing about him. Here's yeah. drama on the ship. Uh, when they um, deal with Q being ousted, and um, when he gets kicked out of the the, uh, the collective, the continuum, continuum yeah. yeah, the Q continuum. When he gets out, kicked out of the continuum, that's when I started to kind of care about him because there was something else he cared about, which is his rank. And we didn't. He didn't just pop in the door, be like, "I'm out of the continuum. Here's how he fixes." He just kind of came in. He's like, "I'm out. I'm getting drunk." And it's just these human moments. And then he got back to something with the continuum in more sad Q. Right. And that's probably a good note for any element. If it resonates on a human level, then it's probably okay to use. And if it doesn't, then why bother? Right. Right. <clears throat> Which is why supernatural, that 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 unknown, everybody has a fear. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some people it doesn't speak to. They want flesh and blood as a as an enemy or a villain. Right. That supernatural, it, it it's an unknown, and we're this is a mystery. So you know, the mystery and the, the the frightening element it draws us all in. It's always it's always fun when the heroes can't just outright beat the villain. Like they're not more powerful than the villain. They have to figure out, be clever, figure out something, figure out a way that they're going to attain victory. They don't just overpower like like voltron right. like, it was like same thing every but i was watching voltron as a kid i don't know what the new one's like i haven't watched it but it was the same they would they'd fight they'd get beat up as lions and they'd form voltron then they'd start to get beat up then they'd make the sword and they'd cut the bad guy in half and that it was the same thing every week and it's like they just overpower it that there's no drama to just overpowering your opponent and when you can do it at any time just make voltron make the sword and cut it in half and the first 30 seconds of the fight and you're done mm -hmm. like there's why do you do the same thing every week but it's 
<laughs> I, I maybe I'm, it was probably made for younger kids and I was watching it when I was older, but I like when you have to think your way around how to defeat something instead of just outright beating it or you get lucky and win sometimes too. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. More so just pummeling it into the ground. Mm. Yeah. Pummeling yeah. has its place, but like <laughs> I can name so many movies where uh, the hero gets thrown a lot of sub-level bad guys all at once. So he or she can basically clean house and that shows the audience, okay, they're worthy to level up and then they fight the big guy. So um, without the uh, sub-level uh, bad guys, you're not sure if your hero's really able to take on the big bad. So they've got their place. But if, you know, like, well, Blade 2 always comes to mind because they've got <laughs> Wesley Snipes fighting all the the security guys. Like, the vampires have security guys. That ought to tell you that um, someone probably didn't think to see that well, but it's a great scene. But you need it so that you know that Blade is back on the case and he's ready. But if that had been all there was, we would have been bored. Yeah. It would have been like, what's he do now? I mean, get yogurt? It didn't <laughs> wouldn't make any sense. But if he'd gone straight to the bad guy, you would have been like, all he's going to do is just get his butt handed to him left and right, and then he'll get lucky and kill the guy that way. And sometimes that works in movies. But it's good to have the level up aspect. Yeah. <clears throat> and actually, on that note, I have to go. Oh. Sorry, guys. It's about the time. Um, Reiterated Where do we find you and your work? I am on Instagram on uh, Brent.Vector is my handle, and I'm on Facebook. And soon I'll have my website up and running. And I believe I said that a couple months ago. So <laughs> soon is a relative trait, much like the sci fi universe that we were just discussing. <laughs> So for all of our adoring fans, go follow Brent. Thanks, Brent. Yes. All right, guys. Good night. All right. And to tie back in the the supernatural element we're talking about, we're coming up on 10 o'clock here. We can transition here. But that's what's cool about our stories, our Kickstarter campaign stories right now, Friar Rush and Bloodline. They have a supernatural element. Bloodline takes place in a world where vampires are everywhere and they're running the, they're running the show. And it's, if you don't, you, you got to make a choice uh, and, and fighting them is the re, is the difficult choice because they are an oppressive force that has control. And then in uh, Friar Rush, you have this timeless uh, evil, malevolent uh, defrocked man of the cloth who is bent on uh, ruining other men of the cloth. And uh, he, he, uh, there's a supernatural element to him too. He's, he's more than flesh and blood. He's something to be feared and he's an oppressive element throughout the story. So if you're just tuning in, check those out on Kickstarter, support them. There's lots of great uh, extras there. And I will repeat, like I said, I would, all of those stories are complete you can, when you back the story at a level that you get the story, you will get the story. It's not, uh, it's not speculation. You're not hoping to get a story. You're not hoping to finish it. It's done. 
and it will be in your mailbox within a few weeks after the campaigns close. Before I switch gears, any last thoughts on supernatural elements in stories from our remaining men? What about how, how does everybody feel like, say, Thor 2, when they kind of had like that superhero world and you introduced like the Dark Elves? I honestly couldn't get through that movie. So, but does that, how does that mesh for everyone? That's kind of, it just didn't feel coherent to me, I guess. I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I get the Dark Elves from uh, Norse Mythos. Uh, they have their place. Um, and using the uh, the redstone and kind of tying that into um, blood magic was also kind of appropriate. But the the way it was done, um, th- there is some uh, verisimilitude that was broken. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some other elements of story that just kind of got glossed over or rushed through. And is at the point where you get to the end and you're, you don't remember the first act of the movie because... Yeah. Things happen, but not really in a way that would stick with you. There wasn't there wasn't any yeah. points made. I, I I didn't feel like I just didn't feel like they were developed enough. Like I didn't care yeah. about them or why why they were doing what they were doing. They just didn't seem. My issue with the dark elves was just that they weren't they weren't fully realized. You know, yeah. they were just there, they were there to be fought, and that was kind of the only. For me, it was that just didn't seem like it was enough to latch on to where it's like when Simonson was doing it in the Thor comics where they kind of drew it from I thought it was great I loved it in the comics but on the big screen I don't think it translated quite as well see for me I I never considered Thor a superhero you know he was he was a, a Norse god and it, him and uh, Wonder Woman they never they never came across to me as being superheroes if you're a god I don't think you're a superhero you're you're a god so that I was never Thor fan because of that. I just think of him as a superhero. And I know they kind of did the whole magic side thing and uh, the middle hat. I just, it doesn't fit well for me either, but sure. I guess I'm negative. <laughs> but uh, but it's, 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 uh, and sometimes those things can work, but I don't know, for some reason, having a god and superhero is kind of like having Q and, and Star yeah. Trek, in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't worry about him, yeah. right? He's he's almost unstoppable. I, I see what you're saying. I I enjoy the Thor movies, and I'll I'll show my my comic book ignorance is is I don't know how closely they they the movies followed the 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 comics canon. And when I say that, I know we are dealing with decades of yeah. of storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I think they just they 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 take hints, you know, they take mm-hmm. cues from the comics, but they're never there's never I, I don't think ever a direct translation from the page to the screen with the Marvel stuff. I think they just kind of draw inspiration from what's there. Yeah, and sometimes they do it better than others. Most of the time, I think they're pretty on the nail. I didn't like the second Thor that much, or the second or third Iron Man, but besides that, I'm I'm pretty down with just about all the Marvel movies, really. Yeah. yeah the, but he but he was a god in the comic book though, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was clever though how the movie did that. They they gave it like from the earthly perspective, we thought he was a god. Yeah. From I mean he's almost like 
you know, Superman on another planet, he's kind of normal-ish. Yeah. But when he comes here, that's that, that Arthur C. Clarke that said, but is he the one, any science that's significantly advanced would look like magic to yeah. you know, the people that aren't that advanced. I, that's a bad paraphrase, but I think he said something along those lines. Yep. And that's what they kind of did in the Thor ones, was that their science was so advanced that it seemed like magic, but it was just really super science, I guess. Yeah. But then still magic, right? Because the, the, the hammer and... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Unless you they... called it magic because you didn't understand the yeah. science. That's, yeah. that's, that's the... I don't. Did someone write code in a Mjolnir to know who's <laughs> yeah. worthy to judge? That's what the Norse symbols were. They were actually codes. So. Yeah. It's programmed. Okay. It's, it's early one zero one one zero one. So. What what were what were those aliens on Next Generation that talked the binary the binarians right? Yeah. So, that's a tangent. <laughs> uh, has anyone seen? I'm oh, sorry. Another tangent. Star Trek tangent. Has anyone seen the Star Trek intakes? Oh, those are good. Where they take the the blooper reel, somebody somebody did it. It's magic, and they they splice it in perfectly, like it's part of the show instead of the what, what made oh, it. No. <laughs> they take the blooper and they put it into the real scene, and they do like usually like two minute clips. Gold, but it's hilarious. They're great. It's gold they are like super awesome. And or the um, or when they're you know when they're doing the shots when they 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 got the camera on one person and then the other guy just says his line. I don't know what they call that. But they got one where, where Jonathan Frakes is. They're they're showing him on the other side of the camera, just being an idiot. And it, <laughs> it, so Star Trek intakes gold, gold. So yeah, that ties in because Q is supernatural. There we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rikering and Star Trek intakes. Rikering. Check those out. <laughs> so. Uh, for the last uh, little bit of our show here, uh, because we do have a Kickstarter campaign going on, and I keep saying Kickstarter, I, I, I will probably use that interchangeably with crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is a wonderful thing, I think, in the, in the world of independent publishing and independent artists with the, with the transition from the, the gatekeepers of publishing uh, the, the, the big the big book guys and the comic book guys to now the independent world having so many outlets. I think it's an amazing, amazing thing. And uh, many of us have been involved with, uh, with Kickstarter campaigns and uh, crowdfunding campaigns and uh, self-publishing. And but while it is amazing and the opportunity is there, it is at the same time equally, I think, frustrating and it you just like uh the the sea of podcasts the sea of youtube videos uh, we can get lost and so we can let's uh, we can talk we can doesn't have to be a a linear conversation uh, like so many of our conversations uh we can jump around talk about the merits of crowdfunding uh, the merits of of independent publishing and uh and throwing off the shackles of, of of the big guys we can talk about the merits of the big guys too of course there's something good there that yeah would any of us pass up an opportunity i don't know um but uh, the there is something very special uh about this the small independent presses like like Silverline. so um who has other than right now and, and maybe our previous 
campaigns and what Silverline's done, who has been involved with other uh, uh, self-publishing or, or crowdfunding uh, projects? <laughs> I, um, I did about four or five years. And it really is, there's never been a time like this to be a self-publisher, a small press publisher, an independent publisher because of um, all the outlets and all the different ways you can get your product in front of the people, whether it's uh, producing a weekly webcomic or just producing something digitally, uh, Kablam. Uh, there's so many like on-demand small digital printers and just so many ways you can just put it out on the web and then there's so many ways you can crowdfund. Um, but then, like you were just saying, then it's also how do you stand up above the white noise, even at conventions? Because now there's like, I mean, if you wanted to, you could find a convention to go to probably every week easily. Now, well, not now because of everything with the COVID-19, but before that there was, there was conventions every week that you could go to. Even the town I live in, which is small between Rochester and Buffalo for a couple of years had its own comic convention. There, there's, they were just everywhere. But then even there, it's like, how do you stand up above everyone that's selling everything around you? You know, everyone's selling something. And I found that trying to sell a comic was a lot harder than, a lot of the people around me in Artist Alley that were selling prints of Spider-Man or Superman, or, mm. you know, not that I, I have no problem with that, but it was just, they, they're selling a property that's known and I'm trying to sell people something that they've never seen before. And that that's, I think that's the harder sell for, to do, but um, yeah, I just, I don't, I to speak specifically of my experience. It was a good experience. I had a lot of, uh, generous friends and family that helped make my Kickstarter successful. And it, I mean, I, I was kind of wide eyed and like expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but um, I'd actually got enough funds from the first Kickstarter to fund doing several issues, which was nice because I thought my first print run was going to be much higher than it was. But then there, speaking of gatekeepers, there was diamond that you had to get through at that time to try and get into comic shops. And if they said no, there was no other route to go through and that, I mean, that, that could be a whole different podcast about distribution models and how having one point of failure isn't necessarily the best model to have, which I think kind of showed its face during this whole thing that just happened with COVID and Diamond kind of stopping and then DC kind of making their own two distribution networks. So, but I don't know. It's uh, I think it's, it's a great time to do it. And it's also a challenging time because there's a lot of people doing it now. Sorry, I talked a long time. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, go, Dan, I'm going to plug it for him. Dan's project in his comic book is called File 13, and it's a, it's a yeah, great website down for now, but I, I will hopefully I'll have it up in the next week or so again. So. Okay. But yeah, yeah, File 13 is fun, and it was based on a idea, a comic I did when I was 12 years old, actually, and then me and my friend kind of it back to life and tried to do something with it. It was fun. It's, I, de I definitely would do it again if I could, but it's just, I learned a lot and I would do a lot of things differently than I did the first time out. I, I love the new model of just kind of using the um, crowdfunding platform as your distribution. Like you yeah. get, that's where your audience is. And so you're, you're creating for that audience. You're not trying to get into comic shops per se, which is, it's it's tough if there was an easier if there was more distribution like there was in the 80s when there was i don't know what there was five six distributors that were 
I mean, given selling to the different comic shops, it was cool because it's, you know, if one person didn't distribute somebody, they could try another avenue. But um, I think the, the model now to use the, this platform, the crowdfunding platform is as your distribution. It's probably the best way to go for the time being. Yeah, and um, I, I can talk on that. I, I self-published prose before, um, which ended up getting me helped me get traditionally published because it's just it's work under your name. Um, and then I've also worked with um, before Silverline. I worked with uh, New Press at a booth at uh, Rose City Comic Con, and know the struggles of trying to get heard over the um, booth with cosplayers next door. Uh, <laughs> Which is impossible, but uh, yeah. uh, the the key really to everything now in indie land for prose, uh, film, and comics right now with the internet, everything got democratized. So anyone can make anything and put it out, but you have to be loud and you have to find some way to garner a cult of personality. Otherwise, you're going to get washed away. Um, and um. It doesn't have to be, you know, the super A-type charismatic stereotype, but just have some sort of unique selling point about yourself that makes people want to follow you on Twitter, right. which will lead you to their, would lead them to your website. Um, and that's another thing is that it made social media so much more important for any sort of creator, uh, even though creators probably have uh, some of the most crippling social anxiety and uh, imposter syndrome and unwillingness to market themselves that I've seen in people, including myself. Yep. Yep. You just want to write the book, want to put it in an envelope, send it off to somebody, get the book out there, and not not market yourself. You're right because you got to be you got to be a character. You got to be your own personality. You got to and you've got to be consistent about and that. You know, you think, oh, I can do this. I can do a post a day on, mm -hmm. on all the socials. It's tough to make something yeah. new every single that should be a day. Job. Yeah, 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 and, and and to make it relevant and 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 you never. It, it's I know it's all the 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 algorithms and and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you think, oh, this post, I'm going to kill it with this post. This is going to be amazing. This is going to go viral. Everyone's going to love it. It flops. Right. And you're dumb share of something else you, the, the one you, you know you, <laughs> yeah you phone in you're like, oh i'm gonna share this that now i can i can go go to work and uh that's the one that, that gets people's attention and it, it it's it's frustrating i haven't been in the world long enough uh so steam patriots originally was going to be a series of novellas and i had a publisher and uh he started a kickstarter campaign and he he wanted way more he his previous project was a, a bit of a hit he did um steampunk homes and they retold yeah. the show, a home story in a steampunk vein it was really cool and they did an audio book and it was an interactive app for you know a tablet and uh, it was pretty cool so he's coming off of that and he he wanted to do steam patriots and i don't know what happened on his side but uh that my experience was it it was a total dud um so that's how it morphed into a, a, a comic book, which I'm enjoying so much more now. Um, but to get above the noise and that, um, Dan, you had mentioned at the same time your uh, campaign was going on, some guy was just was making 
potato salad or something like that? Potato salad, yep. $8,000 to make potato salad. One of the things was he would mail you a spoonful of his potato salad. And I was like, that's when I I just wanted to like throw it, throw in the towel when I'm like, like hustling, trying every day to like make something and like get people to back it. And he's got $80,000 for making potato salad. I was a bit of a hater for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not proud of that, but I was very, very angry. <laughs> and if if we're not, I sorry, I'm complaining a little more. But if you're not, a, you're not a attractive person. That's what I don't get. If you're just like a really good looking person on Instagram, you got oh eighty thousand followers for just posting pictures of yourself. And uh, so I don't know why I don't have more followers with. I say, uh, l- l- lumber sexuals are in right now, so we just need to really market our beards and flannel. And <laughs> well, we're not, we're, we need, yeah, more flannel, more, more. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, what are you suspenders? Wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but at the same time, we're not beholden to to a, a, a you know, acquisitions editor. Yeah. To, to, nope. I. I don't like your story or whatever your you know, your title didn't grab me, and that it, it ends up in a trash can. And, and we don't have the uh, the problems like the uh, the Bat Family just had, where uh, they had kind of a, a collapse during the year because the bunch of the writers on all the ancillary Bat titles found out that like three people had a conference start of the year, said this is going to be the entire Bat Family story for the next run scrapped everyone else's story so every writer every artist that was working on like batwoman batgirl like hey here's your new work scrap everything you wrote like the last two months yeah yeah so having worked in publishing i mean if you're if you send something in unsolicited the chance of an editor even seeing it is slim i mean most of the times that stuff was seen by interns not even editorial assistants or something if it's like unsolicited, you're just sending a manuscript in to see if it gets. That's like the chances are very small that it's going to be looked at by someone um, who can actually make that decision. The dreaded slush pile. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, and then and then waiting four, five, six months to to hear and or never hear. Oh yeah, yeah never. That's that's the other thing is like you know if you're if you're not being considered, they generally just tell you like don't expect to hear anything. Right. Right. And I had that problem with, with Image when I sent something to them. I was like, I just didn't even know if my thing got through. And I would send an email to saying, like, just making sure you got it. And they wouldn't even respond to say, like, yes, we got it. Great. <laughs> I understand they probably get like a billion submissions a week, but, yeah. you know, just have some sort of auto form saying, we received your submission. Yes. This, this way I know you got it. That's all. Yeah. And that, that's tough to not sound like an annoying, pushy person. But you, you just legitimately want to know. So the, yeah, the, 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 the world's our oyster in the independent world. It's just getting in, getting in front of people to, to, to be noticed. And, and a lot of times that, that is, there's a little, there's an element of luck or, or, or who, you know, and, or who, you know, who knows somebody mm-hmm. and just get that person to, to say, just want say something. Yeah. And it's, very important. I've never done any like really big shows like the New York Comic Con or the Baltimore one. I did a bunch of smaller ones, and I even I found like some of the ones I did best at, like trying to sell my book, were like the free library 
Comic Cons that are really small, but people are getting in for free. Your table's free, so you're not worried about trying to cover table costs. And people haven't really spent money to get in the door or spend $200 to get William Shatner's autograph or something. <laughs> so they have money to spend, so they're looking to spend money. Like, And I've, I've done pretty well at them. And I also find that when I have my computer monitor set up, if I have access to electricity and I can have like a screen showing the comic, like anything that makes you different from everyone else that's around you, yeah. I find, you know, if anyone's listening that's getting into indie publishing, it's like anything you can do that makes your area look different than everyone else's is probably going to get people to come over and at least look and then you can start a conversation with them. Yeah. It's something that feels kind of true. Uh, awesome Comics is something that was, is some advice I was given when I got uh, first started writing prose was when you first start out you're going to be writing for other writers and critics then don't expect anyone else to pick up your stuff and uh those smaller cons where you're going to be selling a lot of your product earlier on it's people there are either collectors writers artists or critics because that that's how they don't exist and so they're looking for the other indie comics that Either that they can not work with because everything is just a giant handshake fist fight, um, or everyone's just trying to support the lower level guys that they're into because a rising tide raises all ships. So the more you can ingrain yourself with that sort of everyone rising up at the same time, yeah. the the you're going to create your own clique that elevates each other. Yeah, that's. I, I was. I was reading an article today of uh, the guy who did it was an independent comic for Image called Skull Kickers, hmm. and he said the amount of money that they actually after everything's off Image publishers distribution everything, he said you got maybe thirty one dollars a page. So your question is you, you're you're killing yourself to try to get out there and be part of this mainstream to have your own stuff out there under that big eye. And it's like, but can I even make a living? that by the time it's over with but when you got guys put out stuff there's that uh cyber frog guy he just raked in a million dollars on his indiegogo and you kind of go wait a minute here i don't know <laughs> hold you on get 40 percent of proceeds to one place you only get you know a, a very small percentage back do well, i really want to do that i mean that's the cult of personality you were talking yep. about he has like a rabid fan base because of his personality and yeah. yeah, people that gravitate to oh yeah him and what he says and his personality. It's all based on which is insane. Everything you do outside of comics now as an indie publisher has a huge effect on your sales and what you do and like how you sell yourself, the, your social media presence. All that is so huge now. It's it's insane. There's yeah. a, a guy I met at a convention and he had. He was on the verge of selling like 2,000 copies of a comic he had self-published. I was like blown away by that. And, um, but he had, his artist had like, like 100,000 followers on Instagram or something. So like when you have someone that's tied to your project that has that sort of following, you're just getting yeah. in front of that many more eyes that, and getting that many more people interested in what you're doing. So, but yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't looking, when I hired an artist to do File 13, I wasn't looking at how many Instagram followers he had? Right. Maybe I should have been. I don't know. It's, it's he probably wouldn't couldn't afford them. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how he how he did, but it was pretty remarkable to when he was unless he wasn't telling the truth about his name. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was pretty blown away. I was like, wow, that's a lot because I have about that many, well, not that many, between my th first three issues, I have about that many sitting in my basement. So, <laughs> so what do you guys look for when you're, when you're on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, uh, those sorts of things, what do you look for when you're clicking around looking for, when you're feeling like you want to support somebody or you're shopping? Because I, I like to go there and look for something new that's a, if I'm going to spend my money, I want to, I want to spend it with somebody who's busting their hump to, to make something. Uh, I look for what's weird, uh, yeah. and people who I, I I generally want to support. There are some characters in in any comics that I don't necessarily throw cash at. But one of the ones that just recently, uh, well, not too recently, but uh, bigger profile ones that I backed was Maddie from Duncan Jones. Uh, he he put together a, a book and he did it the way we do it, where he finished the book first and made sure this is just to take care of everyone after the fact. It's uh, a fair trade comic, as he calls it, and I think that's kind of great branding. Um, but if you look at his entire career, it's just been all weird indie stuff. He's just been grinding by himself with like movies like Moon and now this. And that's someone who I generally enjoy, and um, I like his opinion on the arts, and so I want to support him as much as I can. And it's a weird story, so it's kind of met all my criteria. You guys have thoughts? Oh, um, I, 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 I'm a fan of superhero comics generally. I mean, I, that's why I kind of look for something that has a feel of the comics from the '80s and early '90s that I grew up with that I love. That everything's kind of self-contained, but you're still building a larger universe, and hopefully, there's action, but hopefully, there's like an underlying subplot that's more thought-provoking and leads you to more story further on down the line. I think that's why the Silverline stuff appeals to me because it does have that kind of vibe to it. And I, that's just, just what I, but that, I mean, by the same token, I loved, I think someone mentioned earlier on, maybe it was in our Facebook chat or something about Sandman. And I, I love that too. So it's, it's not necessarily straight up superhero stuff, but I mean, anything that's good storytelling, but if I'm looking for kicking around on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, looking for something, it's probably going to be something that's, more akin to the older style superhero stuff that I love. But I mean, some of the more modern stuff is pretty good still too, but kind of out of touch with most modern comics nowadays, like mainstream stuff, sadly. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I, it's, it's tough to, to quantify and it's kind of a dumb answer, but it's gotta be a good story. It's gotta, it's gotta be, it's gotta grab me at the beginning and uh be coherent um, and especially if we're talking comic books and graphic novels it has to be well done if i get lost between the panels or if i get lost in a page turn in a transition i don't have i can't i can't tolerate it so uh i really really want to support when somebody's doing it right when they've when they've done it they've, they've got a good story and i'm a, i'm on the i love Fantasy to sci-fi to, to, you know, zero supernatural, just a, a, a story. Um, so if the story is, is well crafted, and that's, I know it sounds like a simplistic answer, but I, I, I'm pretty picky about 
where I'm going to spend my money. And I want, I want to support that and, and say, yeah, you, you've done it. Good job. Uh, and I'm picky about art too. I, the images, I know I to judge a book by its cover, but if we're talking again, graphic novels, I, the art has to, has to uh, attract me. Um, and there's certain styles that I like. Um, and so I, I will be immediately drawn to that. Um, and then, and then a well-crafted, if we're talking crowdfunding, a well-crafted campaign that, um, it's got, I, I'm not necessarily, I'm not always into the rewards. I, I like to just support the book. I, I usually look for the, the support level that gets me the product. I don't always want the extras, um, mostly because I'm at, cheap as well I think <laughs> it's never in my budget to get all the extras but I want the product and then maybe if I can give a little extra to get the product then say don't don't send me the the extras but uh when it's a well-crafted campaign that spells out the story um who the people are I really like to see that too who the people are who the creators are because it, I, I, it's the whole point it's the whole point of the, this these independent creators is where we are uh, names with faces and uh, we're, we're creating something and um, that's that connection. That's what I love in the, in the small indie world. We can, we can be connected and that person's not lost in the sea of, of a big, uh, of a behemoth of a, of a publisher or, or studio or something like that. And that's what's cool about going to conventions too is when you're in the artist alley and that's one you can actually you know you don't want to have too long a conversation if there's a lot of people around a person's table but if there's not you can actually you know talk for quite a bit of time and you can like as a creator you can talk to people that are into your product for a while or as a fan of somebody you can go and talk to them and learn more about them and more about their product and it's just um i don't know it's uh, i do like that i mean i wouldn't mind having so many people at my table that I couldn't talk to people, but that's definitely <laughs> not the case. So <laughs> I enjoy the interaction and talking to people and like, you know, not necessarily just selling them the product, but like having them read it and then having them come back later and say they read it and enjoyed it or something. It's always, it's always fun to like, yeah, meet, meet yeah. people that are doing the same thing you're doing and people that appreciate the stuff that you're doing. We have thoughts from our, from our, Scribblers, I don't. I'm not putting you on the spot. You can you can say no. Take a hike, Scott. Um, usually, when I'm uh, looking to, I guess uh, help someone kickstart a book, uh, I usually kind of flip through their campaign and and kind of read as as like try to figure out what the book is and when the book's going to be out and how far they've already completed, like how much they've actually done. And because uh, if it's a book where it's slated for like 2021, most likely I won't kickstart just because I don't want to have to be waiting a whole year to, to get something. Um, and most likely they're going to have extras anyways, and I can just buy it through their website. And also something I look for, like Scott, you know, it's the art. I, I have to feel a connection to the art and I have to like it. And hopefully they have enough, you know, I guess images shown to kind of get me hooked. Um, I'm not really like the story. 
obviously I don't want to be spoiled, so I don't try to read that much of it. I just kind of skim through the art and try to make a judgment call there. Yeah, talking about using social media, I'd actually read a couple of books trying to, you know, enhance my social uh, media presence. And one of the things is you don't want to be on there. He constantly, constantly was saying you don't want to be on there like Twitter or Facebook, or whatever, just plug in your stuff. Right. You want to, you want to have some kind of personal, yes. uh, say something personal. Like even go to the, I, I've tried this a couple of times, but I don't have any comments on stuff trending on Twitter. I try to go to see what's trending on Twitter and say something about that daily. And it's like, I have nothing to say about yeah. Kanye and Kim. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, try to come up with something every day. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It's, but I like Roland does that role. What a couple weeks ago, a month ago, he put a picture, he got a haircut, you know, that that's, that's content. That's outside. He's not saying buy my comic books. Yeah. I'm Roland. Right. He's, he's, we're connecting that we're connecting with, he's connecting with the silver line people and people are saying it, it's something, something interesting. I mean, a haircut, but it's, Hey, Roland right. did a thing. And, uh, he's connecting. You're, you're right. But, you want to put yourself out there because if people like you, they'll want to support what you're doing. Right. Yeah. So hopefully you're a likable person and you'll find people like my, that are on the same page as you that want to see, what you're creating and support what you're creating. So it's important to let people know you're working on something, but it's also important just to let them get a glimpse at who you are. Yeah. And, yeah. What you're and, and a lot of it is also just having that, that genuine trying to be part of a community, not just trying to exist in a bubble. Uh, a, lot, a lot of my morning has been thinking of jokes for Twitter. And then uh, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share one of those and then I'll scroll through other writers or people in, the same or similar spaces and if they're talking about something that I, I feel like I can genuinely contribute to, right. I'll try to be part of that conversation. And that also garners me um, a bit of interaction and I usually will pop away from some of those with a follow or two if it, do, if it goes well. So, it, it, and I, I've, I've uh, when I first got into streaming uh, years ago, following was numbers was the goal, but kind of did some like deprogramming uh, where it's always more about the connection rather than the numbers. And if you approach it with the sense of genuine connection, you get better numbers, oddly enough. And I think also that kind of goes to what Dan was saying, the um, having people come at your table just talk to you. Uh, storytelling was originally about community and that um, aspect of gathering around like a fire and talking with the tribe. And so when someone comes to your table and just talks to you about the story that you shared with them, I feel like that does a lot uh, for you cathartically. Yeah. I I read somewhere, yeah, too. Someone someone says if you can get a thousand loyal fans or loyal followers, that's exponentially better than just 10,000 followers. Yeah. You can get, and so every time you do a thing, every time you write a story, every time you, you, if if you get those thousand people that are dedicated, a thousand was the number they gave, and I don't know what number is right for anybody but if you get that dedicated fan base they're gonna buy the thing you know we want them to buy our story want them to buy our 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 t-shirt or our hat and and promote what we what we're doing and so we can we can earn a living doing what we love and so you're right make that connection 
um, that relationship and, uh, and don't just, it's not constantly, Hey, buy my thing, buy my thing, give me money. It's, uh, we can even get to know each other. You, you chit chat back and forth on, on social media. Um, yeah. And that's another thing that resonates with me too. If, um, the, uh, I'm going to, I can't remember his name. He did a, he did a steampunk, um, series, Nat, no, ah, I'm, I'm a, he's a voice actor. Anyway, he's a legitimate, he's, he's a voice actor and he's, he's got, uh, other roles, uh, but, you know, he's, he's on the screen and he emailed me back and forth via Kickstarter, uh, cause I had a question about his project and a question about my project, which was happening at the same time. And that's cool. And so now I, I don't know, I follow this guy and I watch what he does. And if he, if he does another Kickstarter campaign, um, I, I I'm going to follow it. So, um, that, that speaks to me. So I try to replicate that. Yeah. It is it is generally a really cool community. I mean, I've met a lot of people at conventions that I'm still in contact with that I really like and I really like talking with. And, you know, despite a lot of headbutting that seems to be going on in the comics community, I've never had anything except really positive experiences with people. And I'd, I find like in Artist Alley and everything, most of my communications with people has always been really positive and the fan base has always been really positive. Again, I've been out of that whole psych circuit for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. But when I was in it from 2015 to, I don't know what, 2017-ish or so, 2018, I, I, I loved it. And I loved doing the shows and I liked meeting people that, other other artists that were creating. And I also loved talking to the people that were there to buy stuff. It's, it's just, it's cool. It's a, it's a really cool community. I'm looking forward to getting back into it eventually. Con's ever come back again hopefully soon <laughs> yeah because he was a nice guy matt yang king uh voice actor and actor uh so you know he didn't have to respond to my stupid questions um so that was that was good so um uh well it is well into the second hour we can start wrapping up here folks um we're gonna uh let everybody know where we can uh, where they can find us how they can support us um and uh i'll let everybody do that and then i'll wrap up with a with a final silver line kickstarter plug and then we'll say good night so uh why don't we start at the other end uh mr c michael lanning why don't you tell everybody oh and the the artists uh what tell us what you're working on too right now that we're looking at i'm sorry i haven't brought that up during the show so why don't you tell us what you got going on right there uh i'm working on a, a mini series project for silver line called the rejects and right now i'm just on the basic stage of character design so cool does this guy have a name with, can, you, can you tell us it's uh the rejects i think it's okay to tell you it's a project with our uh, editor no. rolling man okay and then and, this character you're drawing uh this is this is kind of uh this guy's name is mr Steve, okay. smarter than everybody else. So, okay, <laughs> okay cool. Yeah, well, if if we get in trouble, I'll, I'll take the blame. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah we got this, is, this is that special insider content that our Silverline fans get to see. So, yeah. And how do how do folks find you, and how do they follow you and support you, and what you got going on? Well, since I've already sold out that my Twitter, I'm not very good in that. 
you do a Facebook page. Look for uh, the art of C. Michael Lanning or even C. Michael Lanning. I'll take your friend request. I've got enough room right now. All right. So. <laughs> uh, Dan, you're uh, next on the lineup. Um, uh, what is file 13 on Facebook and at what is file 13 on Twitter are the two things um, that you can find that on. And hopefully what is file 13.com will be back up and running soon. All right. Alex. Uh, yes. Well, uh, this is just a character sheet of uh, one of the characters from cat and mouse. And uh, she might be in some other uh, titles up and coming, uh, Knoich, that's the way Roland likes to pronounce it. Um, and then uh, earlier, you saw the finish of uh, page 19 of uh, Cat and Mouse, issue three. So. Very nice. And then uh, as terms of, uh, in turn, well, I guess, anyways, my social media <laughs> is uh, Alex Gallimore. Pretty much if you just look that up on Instagram, Twitter, or uh, Facebook, you'll find me. I don't think there's another Alex Gallimore drawing comics, so it shouldn't be too difficult. Thank you, sir. Tim? Uh, I am on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, at TimTKWriter. I am on Liker, at TimTK. I am on TikTok, at TimDoesn'tTikTok. And I'm here on Twitch. At Agro Bacon, where I'll be streaming Destiny 2 later tonight. Very nice. Very nice. And my name is Scott Wakefield, and uh, my project, Steam Patriots, is at Steam Patriots on Facebook and Instagram, and where I'm very bad about posting. Uh, I will try to put more art up. Uh, as we mentioned, all the art's done. Getting some colors there soon from Mr. Dan Hosick. For Steam Patriots, we would love if you followed. Follow all of our folks here. Go on the silverline.com uh, on Facebook. Follow us there. Follow us on Instagram. Um, and thank you for listening to the Silverline podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.